Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Canizero and Daniel Farish as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Inside the OC podcast. My name is Matt Canizero coming to you here from Fort Worth, Texas. Once again, another exciting show and a special guest, of course, aren't they all? Uh, but first, let me bring in my co-host for today's show from Kentucky, Daniel Ferris. Welcome back to the show, sir. Uh, thanks a lot, Matt. How are things down there in Texas? Things are good. And uh, just, again, enjoying the opportunity to be able to talk to some of our, our great champions and uh, even the research and, and some of the fact-finding is a whole lot of fun. I spent some time earlier talking to uh, to one of our bowlers about the 1996 event in Salt Lake City, uh, recollecting some of the, the cool things that happened there. And um, it's really a, an honor to be able to, to share these moments uh, with all of our bowling fans out there today. We're going to talk about uh, the 2011 event uh, in particular. That was uh, kind of the special part of this gentleman, something uh, that we'll have a, a special guest for as well. An extra special guest, a bonus special guest. Either way, all of that coming up. Uh, in a few minutes. Uh, right now, let's welcome in uh, our friend today, Matt Wagon, coming to us from Iowa. Matt, welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you asking me to come on. All right. Well, of course, we're continuing the uh, the tradition for Daniel Ferris to appear on a USBC podcast with somebody or multiple people named Matt, and uh, and we appreciate it. So good luck uh, deciphering between the two of us for the next hour. Uh, but uh, before we really get going and talking about bowling, Matt, let's catch up a little bit with you and, and what you're up to there. Uh, you mentioned working in the IT world and being able to work from home. Uh, just tell us how things are in your neck of the woods right now. Sure. Yeah, well, I turned 40 in January. Uh, got a little bit less hair than I had back in 2011. Uh, yeah, I've been working from home since the middle of March. Yeah, that was kind of weird getting used to. My wife's also been working from home, so I've been kind of just trying to uh, – coexist with the kids running around and the dogs but uh no life life is pretty good things are slowly starting to open back up uh bowling alleys are still closed i haven't picked up a ball in nine weeks that's kind of driving me a little crazy but uh weather's starting to get nice uh i was able to get out do a little turkey hunting get to work in the yard a little bit so uh trying to stay positive and uh hopefully this virus thing will will uh, calm down and we'll be able to get back to the bowling alley here soon now, we did talk to Ron Vokes last week, and, and him being a Midwesterner as well, uh, it's definitely getting to that time of the year where bowling might kind of be a, an afterthought for you guys. Uh, this year, is that going to be a little bit different? You mentioned the weather already getting nice, getting out to do some other activities. Um, how much bowling do you guys really get to do in the summertime anyway, and, and how might that be different here in 2020? Yeah, it usually does shut down. I know a lot of bowling alleys do shut down from at the end of leagues until the start of August. Uh, I've been fortunate enough here in Muscatine that we've, our bowling center has had a couple summer leagues the last few years. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but you know, I, I was able to bowl with my kids the last couple of years and just stay sharp three games a week. And just so when full-time leagues come around in tournaments, you're not uh, totally rusty. But I, I do think uh, some bowling alleys may not open back up in the state. You know, it's really hard to think about that of, of what your opportunities are going to be for tournaments and uh, and leagues. You know, I might have to travel to bowl leagues farther to bowl tournaments. You know, that, that's kind of up in the air. But um, for now, just take it one day at a time. And hopefully uh, come August, 
this will be an afterthought and we can get back to, to bowling every weekend and bowling a couple nights a week. Now you mentioned turkey hunting. Obviously there's a bowling pun there. Uh, we avoided it because it's, it's way too easy. Uh, but uh, as, as far as getting out and being able to do things, and um, I imagine there's some things you've missed, bowling being one of them, uh, but some things you've been able to take advantage of, like hanging out, spending time with the family. Uh, how have you guys really filled that time? Uh, being all together, you mentioned being in the same house and, and trying to kind of divide and conquer uh, the family and the, and the house. Um, but uh, what, what have you guys been doing that you wouldn't normally do this time of year? Well, I was kind of down, down the dumps at first when this whole thing hit. I had an Iowa State tournament coming up, uh, Illinois State Nationals, pretty much my favorite time of the bowling season. I'm gone almost every weekend doing what I love. When all that changed, you know, I was kind of bummed out. Uh, but it has brought me and my family closer. We have been doing more activities. You know, we haven't been able to, to get out and do a whole lot, but I've, I have taken the kids turkey hunting with me a couple times, get them out to experience uh, what I love. And, uh, yeah, it's, it has been good. I've been, I've been trying to take a negative and turn it into a positive. And so, so far, so good. I don't know how much longer I can, can do it. But uh, they, the kids have handled things pretty well. They're, you know, they'd like to actually get back to school. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen this year. But, uh, yeah, the time, time has been going, going faster than I thought it would be. You know, we've, been, we've been finding activities inside the house, and they've been doing uh, some online school stuff that I've been helping them with a little bit. So that's, that's been nice. We uh, haven't, haven't been just sitting here looking for something to do. We've been making, making the most of things. Definitely some, uh, some quality time. And uh, as we, we move on here to, to talk about the bowling, um, just let's catch the folks up on, on exactly who you are. Some may not know uh, some newcomers to the event, perhaps. And uh, back in 2011, you, you made a little bit of history. Uh, by becoming the first bowler in Open Championships history to bowl back-to-back 800s, and that helped you win regular singles and regular all events, a pair of eagles in one year. Uh, outside of that, uh, a standout youth bowler in the Midwest, Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and uh, multiple-time um, state champion in Iowa, bowler of the year in the area. Uh, that uh, 2011 effort earned you bowler of the year honors, amateur bowler of the year, uh, so very accomplished in a, a couple of halls of fame as well on uh, Muscatine in 2008 and Iowa state in 2019. Uh, so uh, we may not have known much about you uh, on that day, that week in 2011, but certainly a uh, very accomplished uh, in your own right. And I saw some posts earlier uh, about whether or not, uh, you know, your path to, to, to go to the PBA tour, perhaps uh, you chose a different path, the family life uh, certainly, have the ability and the talent. Talk about that and some of the some of the decisions that went into that. That's a that's a huge uh, crossroad for for many of us uh, to decide which which way we want to go at that time. Sure. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people really understood that I did have a, a pretty decent junior career. I had nine nine or ten scholarship tournament wins. Uh, my my family sacrificed a lot of weekends to take me to uh, tournaments in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, we sacrificed a lot. Uh, I, I wouldn't, when I was uh, finishing middle school, I was an avid, uh, I was in track, I was in bowling, I was in baseball. I made a decision right before I started high school that I was going to drop everything and commit to bowling. And that, that basically uh, was, was my life for a long time. I was every day after school, I'd be down bowling, practicing several games a day. Um, in Muscatine, we're fortunate enough to have uh, Mike Berlin, who is a USBC Hall of Famer, Iowa State Hall of Famer, and an Eagle winner himself. 
just a wealth of knowledge and uh, used, used him as a big resource to uh, kind of get where I'm at today to make those steps. And I know you talked a little bit about, uh, I did have a decision, you know, coming out when I was done with uh, my youth eligibility when I was 20. I uh, could get my PBA card. I could just decide the bowl regional or just the bowl regionals as an amateur. And uh, it wasn't until I decided, so my, my first nationals was in, 2002 so I, I did pretty well that year I had a night I think I had 1960 one of my one of my tops besides 2011 and I had decided that following year to uh, dabble in the regionals so I did get my PBA card I had that from about 2005 to 2008 and I, I did all right I cast probably one out of three one out of four for the most part uh, th those guys are good and I, I realized uh, I had some weaknesses in my game and and I had to hit them when I could hit them and uh, I think I had a high finish of fifth down in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. I got knocked out by Linda Barnes. I still get joked about uh, getting beat by a girl, but, hey, if you're going to get beat by a girl, that's the one to, to do it. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I decided when I had my first first child in 2007 that, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to spend more time home, hit tournaments as I could on the weekend. Do I, I do a lot of the, the Iowa State, Illinois State team stuff. I love that. I've been fortunate enough to, to grow up and meet a lot of uh, great bowlers through the scholarship tournaments that I still bowl adult stuff with today. So, uh, yeah, not saying any of this was the reason that 2011 happened for me, but I think a lot of it led the way to, to something special happening. You know, one of the things you mentioned there, uh, Matt, that I want to ask about, you mentioned your game and uh, how you, when you went out on tour and bowled some of the events with those guys that you uh, saw some of the weaknesses in your game. I don't want to talk about the weaknesses. I want to talk about the fact of how unique uh, that your game is. And it reminds me of a buddy of mine that I bowled with in college. And our coach always said, I would never teach anyone to throw the ball like Shadow, but he does it the same way every time. And it's so good at the bottom of the release, it works for him. Your game is very unique. Uh, how did your physical game turn into what it is? So when I had, when I was 14, I had about uh, nine or 10 steps, depending on the day and my approach, it was a blur from start to finish to the foul line. And I needed to find something. I decided to move, move my approach back to five steps and I needed to find something, some mechanism that I could repeat. And it just kind of started at first that I was just kind of holding the ball up like this. Well, then it turned into, I got to do something to set. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, it was something that was awkward and I didn't realize from behind how awkward it really does look. And it still looks today, <laughs> but it was something that I could repeat. And it was, it was something that would calm me down before each shot. And, and like you said, my first couple steps are a little funny, but you know, my head stays pretty still. My release is pretty consistent and my, my footy, I, I don't plant quite all the way. I kind of do a half slide, half plant, but I'm, I'm pretty balanced and consistent and, something I decided to just go with. It felt right. And, uh, you know, the day, the days that it, it clicked, I, I had some pretty, pretty good, uh, bowling with it. So I haven't touched it. So you said that at the beginning where you're trying, and we'll put a video up in just a couple of minutes of, uh, I've got actually got video of you on YouTube from shooting 300 a couple of years ago. We'll put that up so the viewers can see exactly what we're talking about. But sure. when you're kind of fidgeting at the beginning, that's just trying, trying to get comfortable. Once you kind of get comfortable and get set, you go. Yeah, if you notice, like right right at the end before I start my approach, I'm I'm pretty still. The wiggling stops, and I'm I'm at that point focused on my target and and ready to go. 
if if one thing I could change, and I might still try to as I get a little bit older, as I is there's times I need to increase a little bit of ball speed, and with that muscle type uh, backswing, it's it's tough to do that and still maintain control of of my accuracy. All right, folks, for just joining us, we uh, we do appreciate it. Thanks for stopping in here, the Inside the OC podcast. My name is Matt Canizaro, my co-host Daniel Ferris. Today we're joined by two-time Eagle winner Matt Wagon from Iowa. Of course, Inside the OC means we're going to get inside the OC and talk about uh, all that happens on the tournament lanes. Daniel Ferris is our resident numbers guy. We've got Matt Wagon's record pulled up, uh, all the details. We're going to talk about the good and the bad along the way here. Matt, you already mentioned 2002. Billings, Montana was your first year and a hot start to your career. 1968 was the all-events total. Uh, first, tell us what uh, or how you got invited or involved in the Open Championships. You were coming off a, a stellar junior career, had a top finish at junior gold, just missed junior Team USA at one point. Uh, so definitely you were ready for the big stage. Uh, but for a lot of folks, the story of how they first appeared at the OC uh, is almost as good as uh, many of the other stories along the way. Sure. I joined fall. I joined men's league in the fall of 2001 and I was fortunate enough to get in a scratch league in town that had quite, quite a few bowlers that had been competing in the open championships for quite a while. So I, I got to join a team that uh, had had decent success, you know, all, all pretty good scratch bowlers, 220 plus house condition bowlers. And I got invited to make the trip to Billings, Montana with them. I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't know what this was. I don't even think I was sure of what the format was to begin with. I didn't realize it was a team double singles type thing. But uh, we made the drive. <laughs> this will be an interesting part. We made the drive. My wisdom teeth got infected on the way over. And uh, all I can remember was the excruciating pain and me just trying to block that out while I was bowling. Uh, the, the lanes were pretty decent that that. Uh, week or that whole tournament the scores were pretty high i uh was fortunate enough to get matched up had a, i think i had a seven seven hundred devils not sure i did so hot in team but uh made made a l- little bit of money in brackets enough to pay for the trip and i was like you know this is this is something it's that's fun it's a vacation it's something that i can do with friends enjoy the camaraderie and make a little money i said i'm in you know where do i sign up for next year that that kind of got me started, and I, I stuck with those with those guys. Uh, some of them were senior players at the time, so they only won a few more years. And uh, 2004 is uh, something I wanted to bring up is mm-hmm. is when we kind of I wasn't sure if I was going to find a team. We kind of made a makeshift team out of some guys from the Quad Cities about a half hour from here. Uh, and I started bowling a scratch league up there in Davenport, Iowa. And uh, I got in with uh, Joe Roseman, who's a great friend of mine, uh, Greg Hockett, uh, Brian, Ge- Brian Kiergaard, who's a PBA regional winner, and we a guy from Des Moines, Keith Felton. And it was just a kind of makeshift team, last-minute thing. And uh, here we are out there with a chance to win with a game to go. I think I started 255, 235. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to realize the pressure's on, the wheels are starting to fall off. Missed the 10 pin in the first frame of the third game. Then I chopped the 6-10, I think, twice that game. It still came down to the 10th. We had a chance to either take over second or first at the time. Uh, I ended up opening again in the 10th for 158. And I just remember sitting there. I think we took over third and ended up fourth that year, which I, I remember sitting there for about an hour after we got done. Just thinking, man, I, I want redemption. This isn't me. You know, I, I need to be more prepared for these situations. And I, I think that was a big 
big moment in my career saying, hey, you need to get better. You need to be able to, to block this stuff out. You need to be able to focus one shot at a time, not worry about what's going on. And at the time, I knew what was leading in team. You know, in, in 2011, I didn't pay any attention to what, what was going on, what was leading. And I think that was a, a big difference in that time. And I was a few years older, had, had a few more tournaments under my belt, a few more pressure situations. But, uh, but yeah, the, the Billings tournament, I think, is what got me committed to, to going every year, regardless of who I have to bowl with. And again, with 50,000 bowlers every year, certainly every bowler has a story. Uh, often we get to tell uh, the stories from the scoreboard uh, and the leaderboard, but not always uh, the behind the scenes things and, and the, the human interest things and uh, some great stuff there. You know, things that uh, we just don't forget, um, you know, the wisdom teeth, uh, it's unfortunate timing, but makes for a great story 20 years later. Um, and then uh, knowing what you missed and, and what game in, in 2004, uh, that just shows the, the passion and the impact uh, that this event has. And, and I think uh, it sounds like even though all events wise, uh, that was not one of your best years experience wise is something you'll never forget. Perhaps your first taste of success at the OC and, and that, that first close call. And, you know, by now uh, you don't get many opportunities uh, at the top of the leaderboard at those Eagles. Um, talk about that 2004 event again, uh, whether it was, uh, it sounds like it was more of a motivator than a deterrent at that point. Uh, your first visit to the national bowling stadium, uh, but uh, maybe a, a reason to, to want to come back and, and do even better the next year. Oh, it really was. And there were some scheduling conflicts that unfortunately that team couldn't really get back together the next year. So I ended up uh, putting another team together, but, but yeah, it, that, that uh, defining moment of realizing how close I was to, to getting an Eagle going into it, not having any expectations. I think if that didn't happen, I'm not sure 2011 would have happened. I, uh, I, I put more work, more practice, more preparation into uh, my ability to put myself in, you know, to compete under pressure situations. All right. Now, talking about the, the NBS uh, in Reno, uh, certainly the, the mecca of bowling, the Taj Mahal of 10 pins, uh, just walking up that escalator, even for the first time, center aisle. Uh, we talk a lot about the goosebumps and the butterflies, and there, there's really no venue like it in the world. Um, and then you came back in 2007. Obviously, there's a theme here, the National Bowling Stadium. That's where the event was in 2011, the ultimate redemption, absolutely. Uh, but 2007, uh, things went uh, disastrously bad for you. Um, any any particular reason anything happened that year just, just uh, didn't match up right? Um, 1655 was the number, and, and Ferris, I'm sure, will have some, some questions about that year and those scores. And um, coming back off that 2004 event, uh, that had to be a, a tough 2007 for you. So, yeah, that's when I started realizing that we have a love-hate relationship with the National Bowling Stadium. I've had some really, really good uh, moments there, and that was not one. I actually felt, I think, maybe overconfident. The day before we bowled team event, I took over, I think, second at the time at the singles in uh, the Bowler's Journal. I was bowling really well. Uh, came in with, with pretty high expectations, and the lights came on, and I – might as well have left at that point. It was one bad shot after another. I think I missed three spares a game. Just not, couldn't ever get the ball to do what I wanted to do. And when I did get lined up, I wouldn't strike. So it was one of those. But at that point, I was starting to get old enough where I was said, okay, just leave this alone. Get them next year. You know, you still have some things to improve on. Maybe make some better equipment choices. 
I think I only took four balls with me that year. And you don't always want to say that's the reason, but you know, what, what if I'd have brought this, what if I'd have done that? But, uh, those kind of years are going to happen. You're going to get overwhelmed. There's sure. things aren't going to, you get one chance. That's one of the, the great things about this tournament. You show up, do your best and you're done for next till next year. Well, and that kind of answers what my question would have been about those numbers. I was going to ask, you know, you said that you couldn't find the right motion that when you did get to the pocket, you couldn't carry. And I was going to ask, do you think your biggest issue that year, it wasn't the physical or mental game. It was your equipment issue. And that's when you said that, uh, that was one thing you kind of looked back on and thought you needed to reevaluate. You only took four balls. Back then, what was your process for determining what bowling balls you were going to take? Did you have a process or did you just say, hey, these are the balls that are in my bag right now. This is my arsenal and I'm taking it. Well, most years I try to take at least five, two pin up, two pin down and a spare ball. And two, two or one of the pin ups will have surface. One will be shiny. One of the pin down will have a little surface and one will be shiny. But, uh, that year, it was I just I felt like the down lane reaction. I could not get it. either wanted to check early or check too late. If I if I tried to to get around it, it would go long. If I tried to go square up, it would hook. And some years, my ball speed just is not a, a good match with what's needed out there. You know, I max out at 14, 15 miles an hour, and there's times you need to to create your own you know, push, get a little bit more ball speed to get the, get the ball to get down the lane farther before it hooked. And that was just a year that it was a total. Yeah. I, I probably would have been better off throwing my spare ball all nine games, but that would, that wouldn't have helped anybody else. Well, now you mentioned those years are going to happen and, and that's absolutely true. It's, it's how you bounce back. Certainly uh, coming in prepared. Things got progressively better for you in the years that followed. Uh, and then we get to Reno in 2010 uh, and you had a great year, 1940. Certainly, by by my standards, uh, 1940 is a phenomenal performance. Uh, and then 2011, we're going to set the stage here. Before we we're joined by Emil, our, our guest for today, uh, he's going to tell the story a little bit differently, as uh, we were in different places uh, in 2011. But uh, that's the year that kind of almost sort of didn't happen uh, for the National Bowling Stadium. Uh, originally, that event scheduled for Wichita, Kansas. And uh, some things happened with the convention center there, so that uh, ended up not being possible. And then uh, the big bowling stadium that was going to come about in the Orlando area in Florida, uh, which was slowed and then stopped by the economy in 2008-2009. Uh, so Reno stepped up huge. Reno, uh, a big part of Open Championships history, uh, were able to make it happen for us in 2011. First time we've ever gone to the same host city in back-to-back years, 10 and 11, uh, and Luckily, we, we did for, uh, for Matt Wagon, of course. Uh, that's, when, uh, that's when things happened. But to set the stage a little bit, uh, Daniel Ferris was, uh, was not there. He was, uh, he was off uh, growing up a little bit still. Um, and uh, that was the year also that uh, Aaron Smith decided he was going to take the, take the season off. He wasn't going to come to the, the Open or Women's Championships. So that put us in, uh, in Reno for the Open Championships, Syracuse for the Women's Championships, and uh, some miles for me to travel that year. Uh, but uh, on that day, the week that you were in town, Matt, is uh, when Matt McNeil also was bowling. So he was there as the defending all-events champion. Had just broken the record the year before. 23-26 was the number. Uh, he was going to be on our live stream for his doubles and singles. And what a performance he put on that day. Shot 308-22. And it just missed taking the lead in all-events. Uh, and that was the day that you bowled your team event. Uh, so I guess my first question there before we get into 
your huge performance the next day was uh, did you get a chance to, to talk to Matt or see Matt bowl a little bit uh, while you were there getting settled in the national bowling stadium? Yeah, I guess just a little backstory before I get into that is I, I met Matt. Uh, he was living in Minnesota bowling some scholarship tournaments down in Iowa. He was starting his junior career when I was kind of ending mine, but he was still beating up on me when I was you know, 20. But uh, yeah, I did get to talk to him a little bit. Uh, I think he was coming in as I was, we were leaving or right, something like that. And I wished him good luck, that type of thing. But uh, he, uh, you, you, you always expect anytime he's on the lane that something's going to be, you know, he's going to do something noteworthy, something that uh, hasn't been done before. And, and he didn't let anybody down that, that year either. He put on a heck of a show. I, uh, I was kind of focusing that night just what do I got to do to improve the next day? You know, I think I had 630 in team with one open and ended up being the only open of the weekend for me, which ended up being great. But at the time, I think our team, our team shot 3240, I think. And at the time that was 30th to four, I think we ended up 50th place or something like that. But, you know, I, I felt I left being the anchor on the team, being low on the team that year. I felt like I let them down. I left some pins out there and I needed to find a way to improve and bowl better the next day. I mean, that, that was my thought is, I know I'm close. I'm hitting the pocket, getting a lot of nine counts. What do I got to do tomorrow to to write to the ship, to, to knock them down? Now, back in those days, it was one oil pattern for the entire event. So as you said, uh, you had some time to kind of to rethink things and the strategy, the equipment, whatever, whatever it was that didn't go quite right. 636 in team is a good number. That's a, that's a satisfying performance, sir. But uh, if there's some things that can go better, uh, certainly uh, you want to make those changes. Uh, that year, the oil pattern was 41 feet, a little bit higher volume at uh, 27.35 mils. Uh, and again, all nine games bowled on the same oil pattern. There it is. Uh, if you'd like uh, to take a look at that, folks, at home. Uh, and for doubles and singles as well in those days, uh, only the 7 a.m. squad was bowled on the fresh lane condition. So uh, there was the opportunity to come in and see who was bowling on the pairs that you were going to uh, to see what was happening out there prior to your doubles and singles event. And then to make it even tougher, uh, after doubles, you flip-flopped to the next-door pair to bowl singles. So uh, even if you think you figured it out in doubles, a whole new challenge comes up in singles. Uh, but, Matt, tell us, uh, after that night, that, that performance, uh, we're obviously busy um, working on some of the McNeil stuff, the performance that he put on in the live stream, the 300, 800, the stories. Uh, coming within a few pins, potentially, of being the first person to win all events back-to-back. Um, you were under the radar, and, and rightfully so, at, at 636. Certainly, again, a, a good number, but not uh, not an all-events watch at that point. Uh, so we're doing our thing, you're doing yours, but when that's over, what did you do to change things up for Dublin Single the next day, and, and how did you get to, to the, the point where you were when you we walked back in the building? Well, I think I found something toward the, the end of team event that first that first three games. I was starting I was throwing I think a Brunswick Alpha Max, something something pretty rolly, and it was it was getting to the pocket consistently, but it, it wasn't snapping. It, the six wasn't doing its job and kicking ten out. So I uh, I had a another asymmetrical ball with me, an Ant Storm Anarchy that was uh, about the same drilling in it, pinned through the ring finger, and I think I finished with the last four or five the last game of team after i'd moved in i was trying to play in between eight eight and ten just trying to but just trying not to i don't like getting very deep in team because you start messing with other people's ball reactions and i, I tried to j- 
just to not give the pocket away. But I knew going in the next day we were bowling, I think, the 1040 squad. So there was, at least, there was one squad in front of us and another squad behind us. So I knew maybe that I'd be able, with that much bowling, I might be able to start close to where I finished and with the same ball. But what I didn't realize is that the heads were kind of burned up when we started, meaning I had to kind of project the ball to get it down the lane. But another thing that shocked me is is the hold that the, the group that bowled in front of us had created. I know some were throwing reactive, some were throwing plastic, some were throwing urethane. Usually that's, you don't know what that's going to do. You didn't know if there's going to be hang spots. You know, we're not expected, but uh, all of us could hit the pocket. But what I was able to do that second day, I couldn't do the first day. I would, if I hit the pocket, it was it was a strike. I mean, I, I was tripping forwards, messengers, you name it. I, I've, I think for the six games that day, I was 430 some over and next high on the pair was 80 over. So I was I was able to create something that just the other guys couldn't do and then some of the guys that bowled really well the day before had about what I had the first day. Uh, in my career, going back to 2005, I've been at the Open Championships for thousands of days, uh, some for, for most of those days. Uh, on this particular one, for your doubles and singles, uh, after we wrapped up with all the, the McNeil stuff the day before, I was on an airplane. I was headed to Syracuse uh, for the Women's Championships and the USBC Queens was coming up, so I was going to spend some time there. Left everything in Reno in the capable hands of Emil Williams Jr. He was uh, second year in the PR department. There he is, the ultimate prankster. So obviously, uh, at that point, it's very hard to believe anything the man says. And uh, and I'll tell you what, I uh, un- unbelievable. But uh, I'm running through this Chicago airport at his hometown. Uh, I'm sprinting because getting from Reno to Syracuse, a little bit of a challenge. Uh, and I get a voicemail on my flip phone, whatever it was back then. And, uh, and I'm trying to listen, going down the escalator. And uh, he's telling me, uh, he's like, Matt, just bowled this, this. And, and so I figured out, I slowed it down. Matt Wagon, okay, I got you. Uh, 806 in doubles, right, was the number. Okay, great, 800. You know what to do. You know the story, the video, the whole deal. He goes, no, 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 that's not it. Hold on. And he keeps talking. And he's like, and then in singles. 279, 290, 257. Okay, so 826. And I'm like, that's not impossible. Nobody in the history of this tournament has ever shot back-to-back 800s. I'm not sure. I think I know Matt Wagon, but I'm not 100%. And, of course, there's a backstory on Emil being a prankster. Uh, We'll get to that later on. But uh, it was, in fact, true. For the first time in tournament history, a bowler had shot back-to-back 800s, and that got you – to the lead in regular singles and regular all events. You snuck in. You just got there. What a day. What a performance. Uh, first, let's hear from Matt uh, just about the, the on-the-lanes feelings. And you said when Emil came up to you after, you weren't even sure why. Well, this this is really uncharted territory for me. I was getting high fives and hugs everywhere. And people, I didn't realize at the t- time the stands were packed back there. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. I, I knew I had bowled well. I knew I'd had the back-to-back 800s. I didn't know what was leading what. I, I remember Emil coming down saying, hey, when you get your stuff put away, I'd like to talk to you. And my first thought was, why would you want to talk to me? What, what did I do? <laughs> I was I was ready to go celebrate, you know, get get that get the party started. But, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty – one of those feelings, I, I remember when it finally hit me later that night, it's like, I can't even imagine having back-to-back in a state tournament or a league or something, but doing it 
on the biggest stage that I bowl every year, it was all that hard work, everything that I had done up to that point seemed worth it. You know, I, I could finish last in every tournament from here on out doing what I did that day, regardless if the scores held up, you know, you can't, you can't uh, say it enough. It's just an amazing feeling. Well, now, talk about the first one. I mean, 800 at the Open Championships, that is a, a huge deal. You had to know at that point in your career what a significant performance that was. Um, so just describe that moment, finishing that off. 806, you got in there, uh, but then you still had three more games left. Yeah, I had the double. I, the main thing I remember, I had the double in the 10th to shoot 800, and uh, I, I felt bad for my doubles partner at the time, Scott Carpenter who I think had beaten me the last two or three years when we bowled doubles. So uh, he, I guess he was due to doubt me. But but uh, he, he bowled really, really well. I think he had one open for 580 that set. And uh, I, I remember him just, you know, I, whenever you're bowling doubles with somebody, if one guy's doing well, the other guy isn't, it usually makes it worse because the other guy's pressing, trying, trying to help out your partner. But uh, I do remember throwing a double in the 10th. Uh, I think I labeled, labeled both of them to shoot 800. And my thought was, all right, calm down. We got three more games to go. When we moved to the next pair, all I told myself, I'm going to start where I finished and make an adjustment off of there. And I remember my first shot, I almost left the 810. They both kind of were there and they and they fell. I was like, wow, this pair is a lot tighter down lane. Now, most years, I, I could tell the ball was coming off my hand as good as it could. I, I knew I was in complete control of, of, of my game at that point. So I went ahead and moved a little bit to the right, tried to keep my break point where it was, but not give the ball away as much. And not only did it work, it worked better. I think, I think if anything, my look was even better on that pair and I was making better shots. And uh, just to, to shoot, I think I went 279, 290. And I, I, had a, I had a shot at 848 going into the 10th that last game. And that was probably the worst shot of the, of the day. I, I cut it short, I think I left the three six. And uh, at that point, I didn't even know I needed to make that. If I don't make that, I don't take the lead in anything. So uh, I made that, moved a little bit on the field ball, struck and uh, for 826, and yeah, then, it, it, then it was just crazy. I want to ask about something real quick here, Matt, and that's you said when you went to that second pair, it was a little tighter down lane, you know, the 810 fell late, and you made a small move right. That's one of the hardest things for a bowler to do, whether they're staying on the same pair in an event Switching pairs, switching bowling centers, it doesn't matter. Moving right for, for right-handers is not something that's normal. Did you have to talk yourself into that, or did you just say, I'm going to do this, and it's either going to work or it's not? How difficult was that decision for you? Uh, at that point, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I knew I had a little bit of hold to the left. I, I'm, an ins- I, I'm what I call a tweener. I'm an, I, I, like, I like having areas to the left more than I have areas to the right. If you give me a little bit to the left, I feel more comfortable my mistakes are usually going to be left. Mm-hmm. And I think the few mistakes I did make that day that I didn't strike on left me something I could make. And that, that was, that was a huge key. And I didn't move right a ton. I mean, I just moved, moved enough just to, to change that angle. And if anything, it went from, from kind of hook and setting to continuing to drive through the pins. And, and uh, it's hard to say my carry got better, but it really did. Right. Now, Matt, I, I have been fortunate to witness some incredible moments at the Open Championships, and in those moments, uh, for me, my heart's racing. I'm running all over the concourse, running through the mental checklist. What do I need to do? The video, the, the calling the media, all the things that we do after the fact. Now I want to hear from Emil. In that moment, uh, potentially at that point in your career, the, the biggest thing, well, 
second biggest, maybe tied for the biggest with McNeil the year before. Uh, you've been fortunate as well. But uh, what are you thinking? You're the lead guy in that moment, uh, and and you got the checklist going. But uh, describe it from your side, and uh, how much fun was it uh, delivering the phone call that nearly made me fall down the escalator? <laughs> well, at first it was just kind of business as usual because, as you said, you know, at that point, I kind of, you know, you know what to do when honor scores are shot. So I, I have that in mind. I know that's going to happen. Uh, I give you a call certainly because you should know, you know, just in case somebody, you know, gives you a call later. Hey, you didn't know about, you know, Matt Wagon's 806 or, or, or just in case. Uh, and then, of course, as, as Matt, first of all, Matt, how are you, by the way? It's nice Good. to see you. Nice to see you. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, and so, you know, he ends with 279, shoots 806, and as he just says, switches pairs, and then he starts with 279. And then I go, okay, well, this is it's pretty good. And the, the fan in me is like, you know, obviously I should be watching this. And then there's like a, uh, uh, a small glimpse of like, okay, let's, let's keep in mind of the all event situation. You know, first with the 806, you're, you're talking about doubles, and, and he talked about that as well, but, you know, knew we weren't going to get there, so it was about then, it, does he have a chance at, at, at all events, and he's going to need a lot. And then 79 happens, and then he keeps striking, and then it's 290, and then I'm like, okay, uh, here's some uncharted territory, if you will. At this point, I feel that, uh, as you mentioned, Matt McNeil, I saw in 2010, uh, and also split time in another department in 2010. So in 2011, I was like full-fledged media. And so I'm like, well, this is it. This is, you know, if there's ever a moment, right, you got the prove it moment, if you will. Here's my moment. Like, I can't let Matt down. He's, he's off and running. He's going to take care of the women's championships. Uh, he probably didn't think that the, the, the first day he'd leave that, you know, things are going to, or bleep will hit the fan, if you will. And uh, Matt Wagen is about to do his thing. And, you know, as as Matt mentioned, you know, all the, the, the folks in the crowd, spectators, bowlers, you know, all watching. And I, I do recall that, that last shot uh, where he did go high. And it was like a gasp of air, uh, mainly because he stopped striking, which was odd at that point. And then B, it, nothing was determined, as he mentioned at that point. So that was you know a very important uh, frame, very important spare. And then, you know, he, he does his thing and I'd, I go down to him and, you know, normally I'm a very reserved individual. So I'm sure I said it the way he just described it. You know, I don't I don't think I wanted to be too abrupt, you know, if you will. But uh, it's also good to know that I did do my job properly. Uh, and he waited, of course. And we did the video, of course, the story and everything. But um, it, it was that moment for me. You know, I had a few moments, I thought, the previous year where you understand the event, you understand the Open Championships, what it's about, what it means to everybody. That was my first time uh, working the event. I bowled it for the first time in 2010. So... I understood it kind of in and out at that moment. and uh, But even then, you, you couldn't think of what was going to happen and essentially what transpired back-to-back 800s to uh, to win two titles. Now, by the time I got to the, the next gate for the next flight, uh, you and I had, had talked, um, and, and I believed you at that point. Uh, and I was frantically walking around, not being able to do anything, not, no, <laughs> not being able to share the news or celebrate or do anything, and uh, I, I knew full well that uh, you had it under control. You knew the procedures and the checklist, and you know you, you can't help but want to kind of be that overbearing big brother. And uh, and and but again, got on the plane knowing it was all good. Uh, we had some great footage of it. We had a great interview, a great story, uh, and some great memories. And I think uh, Mr. Ferris has some of that queued up right now. So we'll take a look before we get Matt Wiggins' feelings 
uh, on that day and when it all started to finally click. And I'll, and I'll tell you, my first thought essentially was just to, yeah, make sure I get the 806. Let's let's get a lot of B-roll. And then, up oh, he kept striking. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I'm proud of myself here is I no, I don't get too overreact. I don't get too pumped up. Get your get your blood pressure too too going. I just I stayed even keel throughout the whole thing. I don't know how, but I, I did. I was going to ask how because I'm sure there are a lot of players who would love to have been in your position. Do they if, if they get there? How do I keep my head on a level playing field and I don't get too excited, you know, for every strike and I don't get too dejected if i do miss you didn't miss that often in these two sets obviously um but think, you know i think it came down to just bowling with a good group of friends they, they knew what to say to me what not to say to me left me alone when i when they needed to talk to me when they needed to and i, I think that was huge i think without those guys being there this doesn't happen so kind of like when a pitcher is in the middle of a perfect game you know going into the seventh and eighth inning uh, sometimes his teammates in the dugout will just like sit 30 feet away from him. Your teammates in this instance weren't leaving you alone. They were just keeping the conversation fluid and normal and jovial and just keeping it calm down there. Yeah, as you can tell, they're starting to get pretty animated towards the end when it was getting, I think that was the eighth or ninth frame when I threw that last strike there. But uh, yeah, I think we had been around enough of each other in big moments and other tournaments that, that every yeah, I turned it almost into I was bowling a league session with these guys, and that's when I kept my demeanor not too high, not too low. And uh, after that last shot, we kind of let loose a little bit, and that's when the high fives and hugs started going. But but uh, I think it's that's a that's a big a big lesson is I, I don't know if I could ever bowl that tournament just to to fill in for somebody and and feel good about it. I think you you want to bowl with the guys you're comfortable with, bowl with friends if possible, and. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that makes that makes these type of moments even that much more special. Well, and not to get too incredibly technical, but the first time that I watched that video, watching your ball motion down lane, I thought, man, that ball's holding the pocket pretty strong. Like, it's not jerking at the end of the pattern the way we expected. So what you saw with that, that pair being tighter uh, in is. your singles event, uh, certainly oh. there, there's that ball. How about it? I was going to ask if you still had the ball. It hasn't cracked on me yet. Do you still use it? I do not. No, I Oh, smart. Good. <laughs> But yeah, it's certainly we saw that down lane hold you had, and that that helps a lot if you are, like you said, a player who uh, would rather miss left than right. Yeah, with with anarchy being a shiny asymmetrical ball, I I was shocked that it was able to just kind of lay there as it did. You know, a lot of times on house conditions, it's way too angular to use, and mm-hmm. it, it matched up. I think there was just enough uh, friction up front for it to grab, and then just kind of lay off on whatever was pushed down for us to begin with by the first group and. And the rest was just me. I, I, I didn't move a lot during the six games. I remember just chasing it in a little bit when I tripped the four pin. But, you know, a lot of times at Nationals, when you realize it's time to move, you leave a big four. Or, uh-huh. you know, it, that, that's your that's your opening. Well, for me, it was tripping a four. That, that's all you can hope for. Get, get those breaks and, and take advantage of them and, and make the moves. Like I said, physically, it's probably the best that I've ever, ever felt at, at Nationals or maybe any time throwing the ball. Now, Canazaro, uh, I want to ask you, and I can't let E get away from this without a, a throwback to himself. You mentioned that E was known as kind of a prankster of the PR department. What's the story behind that? Well, I really, it was just it was just one prank, and I'll, I'll never forget it because I, I don't let things go. Uh, no, he doesn't. It was, it, was, it was the year before. Uh, 
we're just a, a month or a month and a half into the 2010 Open Championships. Uh, Aaron Smith already had departed for the Women's Championships in El Paso. Uh, and there's a thing about the OC that most people don't realize is that uh, there's really only two days at the event. There's opening day, and you know it's opening day because there's Joe Bowler and there's celebration, and there's a lot of things going on. And then after that, it's just the Open Championships. And the other day that matters is the day when there's no more bowlers. So you just you come in every day, you do your thing, and eventually nobody's going to be there. That's how you know the event's over, right? So <laughs> by the time we get to, to April, May, uh, you really don't know what day it is. You're, you're, doing, you're doing what you do. You're doing what you love. You're enjoying moments like this, uh, seeing great performances, meeting great people. But really you're not looking at the calendar. You don't know what's happening. Uh, so – uh, the goal for me was to, to get in the office and get situated before the end of the 7 a.m. squad. Uh, that way, in case anything happens on paper, anything uh, that might have been missed, we're ready for it, no matter what. So the workday starts around 9 a.m., uh, but just before that, I get a call from Aaron Smith, uh, and he lets me know, hey, it's uh, it's Emil's birthday. In case you want to do something cool, just want to let you know if you want to you know celebrate or just say happy birthday or whatever because you know, you're trying to be a, a nice guy, a good leader in the department. Uh, absolutely. There's a Smith's grocery store uh, on the way to work. I stopped in. I got a few minutes. Uh, I grabbed a cake for the guy because, you know, I want to be welcoming. He's only a couple months into his career with us. Uh, and I know that he doesn't like chocolate as well. Uh, so I get a, another cake, another piece uh, of, of white cake for him to, uh, to enjoy during the festivities. Uh, and I get there and I put everything away and I let everybody know, everybody in the whole entire place, it's Emil's birthday. Make sure you come by. He comes in at 5 o'clock. We're going to celebrate. We have cake. Everybody just come by. Give your, your cards, whatever you want to do. Uh, we have some time. And, uh, and he walks in. He sees the office. Happy birthday. You know, of course. What do you expect? Uh, and he just busts out laughing, falls on the ground. Like, he just can't believe it. And, uh, and I'm, here I am trying to be nice. The guy's got cake. Uh, he's got his own cake and, and a huge celebration. All the employees, everybody in the building walking by. Happy birthday. Happy, all night long. And, uh, and eventually, uh, he, he let us all in on the big secret. Well, I mean, first of all, you should have just been paying attention to the date. I mean, not a chance. It, it was, it was April 1st and, uh, yeah, you can't believe everything you see on Facebook. So really it's Aaron's <laughs> it fault. Was there. First it was and real. foremost, it was first and Facebook, foremost. So it was real. Uh, so yeah, I changed the, uh, the birthday or my birthday on Facebook to, to, you know, have an April fool's joke. I didn't know that obviously Matt would have so much compassion and be such a great leader that he would, uh, go out of his way and get everyone involved to, to, you know, have, or, or give me a, a proper birthday party, if you will. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think he even let me have the, the, the cake afterwards. Like he, <laughs> He was upset. Like this dude was like perturbed. I'm like, bro, it's just a joke. It's a joke. I was ready ready to let everybody have cake. And you said, I sit there and watch us enjoy it after that. But uh, I mean, it was on Facebook. So you, you know, you want to check something out, you go to Facebook and and it's real. It was there. So uh, good job for you. Uh, But I'll never forget that. That, that, that is the reason I could understand why you, you know, when I called and left a voicemail initially, you were you were a bit skeptical, but no, that was that was real news. Matt Wagan was was really resetting the the record books at that time. There you go. And Matt, you came off the lanes. Uh, you knew what a big deal it was, what you accomplished with the eight hundred, and then of course the second eight hundred. Um, and then Emil was there. There was a lot of paperwork involved at that point. You saw the crowd form while it was all happening. Uh, at what point did it all start to sink in? And did you realize, or did you did you? understand what exactly you had just 
accomplished in all of its entirety. You know, it wasn't until, you know, email. Emil gave me an interview when I was still trying to process it. You can tell how nervous I was in that interview. I think I repeated myself every time I answered the question. (laughs) I said the same thing twice. But uh, when I got done, my phone started ringing off the wall. I was, you know, getting people that were there at the stadium to come in in the bowl. We're hearing about it coming up, talking to me. And I'm I'm not used to that kind of stuff. It's not anything. I'd I'd really rather not have the attention. And it was good attention, but. Not not understanding that the tournament had been going on that long and nobody had ever done what I had just done, you know, it's it's hard to really put it together. Saying, "Wow, you you were able to do something that how many great bowlers have been out here and haven't been able to do is your day, you know, enjoy it." All right, now, still, you're you're one of just three bowlers in tournament history with two eight hundreds on the tournament lane or multiple eight hundreds on the championship lanes. We already mentioned Matt McNeil being the other. Uh, I would test these guys to see how good of a teacher I really am to see if either one can tell me who the third one is. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance, and then we'll move on and talk a little bit more about uh, what came after this uh, this day in April. I would simply say that my age has, has now defied me, so my memory is just not that good anymore. <laughs> uh, I will say I hope I don't butcher the last name. Is it John Socha? It's John Socha. Uh, yeah. Very good. There you go. So, so I have accomplished something as well. I've uh, I've taught you guys stuff, so that's that's an important thing in our department. Uh, the goal is to learn something every day, uh, and we, and we do that. We try to do that. Uh, and now um, the rest of the process, Mister Wagon, is is probably possibly harder than uh, actually knocking down the pins. That's waiting, especially in the the technological area. You're an IT guy, so you know uh, online leaderboards, message boards, social media. Uh, what was the wait like? You bowled in April. The event didn't end until July. Well, I think Tom Petty always explained this the best. The waiting is the hardest part. And uh, it, it, the first few weeks, not so much. I would go out there maybe once or twice a week, look to see you know, how the scores were in comparison to when we left. And you know, I, every now and then somebody shoot a 780 or I think there was a couple small 800s. But as it got closer and it's, it's like, wow, this could really happen. Yeah, I was, I was on there way more than I should be. And it got there was a few close calls down the stretch, but uh, I had I had decided after I left that hey, what I did, I don't even care. I don't care if it finishes outside of the top five. It, just a, a day that I can cherish and appreciate my whole life, and regardless of the win, it was it was something that uh, chances of anything like that happening again to me or anyone, you know, aren't aren't high. Anybody can have their day. Uh, you know, you had Ron Volks on last last week and. Him, him shooting 857 and not winning was more more crazy to believe than than uh, my my two scores 2268 and 826 holding on. But fortunately, that was that was the right year to have those numbers, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Well, you, you did get there, um, and uh, 2011 a little bit high scoring. We had a record number of 800s at 16. Um, of course, as you mentioned with Ron Vokes, you just never know. You can never get too confident. But the call finally came. And that is one of our favorite parts of the entire year, uh, to be able to be a part of those calls, uh, to hear Dwayne Hagen make those calls, congratulate the champions, and uh, you got two calls in one. Tell us about that phone ringing on that day. Did you know that that was the final day of the event and that call was coming? Did you know anything about the process, and uh, what was it like when, when you finally answered? I knew the tournament was over, but I didn't know the process. I didn't know what to do. I think I got the call on 
the July 6th, I think that evening, I got a phone call and was told that I had, had won both events and I knew I had won at the time, but that, that made it that even that much more real. It's like, all right, this is official. Now we got to plan a party. So I, uh, I was fortunate enough, the, uh, the propri- proprietor at the time, Larry Richardson of the Bowler Iron Muscatine, as a, as a gift to me, they, they hosted my Eagle party and presented me with the Eagles in August of, of 2011. And I had a couple hundred people there, friends, family, and had speakers. And it was a big, big, uh, big party. And, and uh, one, one of my favorite days, there's a lot, lot of special people to me there, including my, my dad. They're no longer with us that I can look back at those uh, videos and pictures and and uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was awesome. All right, now Emil, before we let you go, um, we'd like to hear from you about your feelings on that day. Of course, um, you were part of the, the the entire process, and then be able to see it through, and to be part of those phone calls in July, and to hear Matt Wagon on the other end of the phone uh, becoming an official two-time Eagle winner. Can you describe? Uh, you know, you, you got the calls the year before, and here you are. Uh, full-time in the PR department, making the calls. What was that day like on your end? Well, I think for me it was just more of a uh, uh, realization that he was able to to hold on, if you will. And, you know, to that point I'd seen, you know, a lot of great moments. But uh, his moment was kind of my moment uh, at the same time. So uh, it was it was the one time, and it wasn't the last time, but it was certainly the first time where, you know, I was, I was in charge and, and handled business and, you know, at the at the Open Championships, obviously, we all know that every day is a new day. You you have no idea what's going to happen, and 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 that was certainly that day. Uh, I was happy. Certainly, I was there to to not only witness it, but certainly document it, uh, and really have a, an opportunity to rehash it at some point. And and that day is today. Uh, I don't honestly think I've seen Mr. Wagen since that day. So this has been pretty cool to to say hello, catch up with him, see how he's doing. Um, and then, you know, just to hear the, the, the jubilation and, you know, uh, uh, getting the, the call, the win, it's official and, you know, everyone wants to hear the call or get the call. And then when you hear the, the right voices on the, on the other end, you know what the deal is and, uh, you know, he's going to be forever a champion and that will be my forever moment at the OC besides the, the pranking situation. Well, I, I, I don't appreciate the pranks at all, but, uh, definitely uh, makes for a great story for us, but, uh, but for you, Hopefully that was one of the moments that made you want to come back and, uh, and be a part of the, the team, not only at the OC, but at USBC. We appreciate uh, all of your service in the years since. And, folks, uh, if you'd like to see more Emil Williams Jr., you can do that uh, twice a week at least on the PWBA podcast Mondays and Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Emil, any final thoughts before you head out or any other uh, shows or things you'd like to talk about before, uh, before you get going to work on them? Well, thankfully, you uh, didn't terminate me, so I did a great job uh, on that day. So that was fantastic. And, uh, you know, folks, hang out after after uh, the OC gets done uh, back at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central. We'll have a PWBA replay, and uh, we'll be watching the uh, nationwide Greater Cleveland Open from last season. So come get your bowling fix uh, on Bowl TV. All right, Mr. Williams, thank you for joining us today. Keep up the good work, and, uh, and happy birthday once again. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. And, uh, Mr. Wagan, it was a pleasure to see you and uh, hope to see you at some point in the future. You as well. Nice seeing you again. Absolutely. I'll see you. All right, Mr. Farish, uh, any thoughts on, uh, on these big days, big numbers, and all these, uh, these great stories? You've had a chance to experience some 
on your own to build your own legacy. Uh, but as a as a new guy looking in, uh, can you put any of this into words? Just just hearing the stories. This seems like an easy question to ask, but the answer is different from bowler to bowler. Uh, no matter how the resumes stack up, this accomplishment at the OC, as it stands, but that year, you know, leading up to that year, I'm sure that was at the top of your list of accomplishments in bowling. But how did you how did you compare it? I mean, looking at, at your greatest accomplishment before then, whatever that may be to you, how did this stack up next to that? How were your emotions different? after getting the phone call that you had won the two Eagles and were you know, the only player to have back-to-back eights in the history of the OC, how did all that stack up to your previous accomplishments? It's totally at a different universe. I mean, I've, I've won plenty of tournaments. I've, I've won team tournaments, doubles tournaments, scratch tournaments. I've averaged 270 in tournaments. I've, I've done a lot of different things. But to, to me, I guess it was all about the stage of where it happened at. Um, I know you had Ron Vokes on last week. I mentioned that uh, he would – the funny thing, I had eight. I had eight fifty-seven the same day he had eight fifty-seven at nationals. I had it at Iowa State tournament huh. the same day, up in two thousand nine. So up to the point, that was one of the the highlights of you know being that was a, a bigger bigger stage, being able to, to string strikes. But uh, besides, you know, finishing fourth out there in, two, in team in two thousand four was a big one. Uh, a few different scratch tournaments that I had won over the years. A uh, couple, couple, twelve, sixteen game four matters that I won, but to, to me those are over here, and this is this is kind of on a pedestal. Now, before we get to talking about uh, twenty twelve coming back and defending those two titles, I want to ask you know you sent us a little bit of your resume, your bowling resume before we started the show, and it lists a five time Iowa State champion. I've got to ask. How much inspiration did you draw from the 1979 Iowa State Bowling Champion Roy Munson? None. <laughs> Although that's one of my favorite movies. But uh, no, I I, uh, I decided to bowl with some pretty good players. I, I we got we built uh, a super team when, that year uh, when we first started that in 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Peters, Joe Roseman, myself, uh, Josh Cantrell, and Scott Rains and and uh, we won four years, four of those, four of those five titles. We won consecutive years. A couple so, wow. eagles in there too, as well. Yeah, yeah. That was 2011. Was uh, that's not going to be tapped. That was, that was a year close, close to my heart. And and uh, as I'm getting older, I know those those days are less likely to occur. So I'm I'm content with that. All right. Now you come back in 2012. Now this is something that I haven't had the ability to see with this uh, 2020 being my second year at the OC. I haven't seen defending champions come to the event and try to defend their titles. Uh, what was that like for you? Um, the hoopla, the pomp and circumstance of it, knowing you were coming back a two time Eagle winner, the regular singles defending champion, the regular all events defending champion. Uh, before you get on the lanes, forget about the pressure of trying to defend. What was it like just coming back to the event, knowing you were going to see your banner, your name, your numbers, and announced in the squad room, you know, out of the lanes, the anticipation of all that. What was it like? I think I, I think I came in a little bit too relaxed. I felt I, I, I wanted to enjoy the more the moment more than anything. Uh, I know my one of my teammates had gotten there a few days before me and had sent me a pictures of the banners, and it's like, oh, I got to see these. Mm-hmm. I can't. You, you don't you don't appreciate you winning something at the championship until until you get your name stamped on it. So seeing those huge banners that that brought me to reality real quick. It's like, Oh man, I hope I don't go out there and lay an egg. 
But uh, I, I remember the first, the, the day we got there, we went over and decided to bowl the Bowler's Journal was at another place. And uh, I can't think of the gentleman's name, but the tournament director, as I'm signing in, he, he looks at me and he goes, are you the Matt Wagon? And I said, oh, no, oh, my, oh, my goodness. I said, I'm not, I'm not ready for that kind of stuff. I'm, said, I'm just here to bowl. And I think I, went, <laughs> I think I went out and doubled in the 10th for 5-10 for, for singles for the Bowler's Journal. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't come up and call me that after that anymore. But, uh, <laughs> no, I had brought my wife down that year in Baton Rouge, and uh, my Aunt Lois uh, had, had come down to, to watch. And I tried not to put any pressure on myself and uh, – the ceremony beforehand was was just awesome. I got to pick a song to walk out to the tournament director with. Uh, mm-hmm. One regret I do have is you know they gave me the option to to say a few words, and at the time I was like I, I don't really want this to distract me from the task at hand. I said we got a team event to bowl. I, I kind of didn't want to get any more emotional at that point. I'm not an emotional guy, but I, I thought that could have brought that out of me. So. I wish I would have said a few words, you know, to kind of to let everybody know how appreciative I was of, of the situation. But, uh, no, uh, I started with a terrible ball choice that first game. I think I had 162. Uh, I think Matt can talk more about why my team event was live streamed instead of my doubles and singles. But uh, I was kind of glad that we got to showcase some uh, some of the talented players from the Midwest. Uh, at the time, I bowled with some guys from the Quad Cities, and then our cross team was some guys that had won an eagle in 1990 out of uh, – Pennsylvania and uh, pretty good bowlers. So I was I was excited they got to, to do that, but fortunately as a as a group we just we I think we might have got to three thousand that year, but I uh, went one sixty two teen two teen uh, felt close all all day. Uh, I was frustrated with myself. I think Matt actually wanted me to come up and talk when we when I got done, and I was at that point I was I was beyond not upset, just disappointed, thinking that I could not do what I did the year before, but at least, you know, follow that up with something more than my 580. So how long did it take? You said you started with a bad ball change. We're taking a look here at the live stream uh, from your guys. I think this is towards the end of game number one uh, of you guys and your team event, but you made a bad ball change, a bad ball selection to start. Uh, were, Were you amped up? Was the ball speed up? Was the energy up? Did that affect you a little bit? The energy was up. I, I guess I didn't expect – I had a lot more hook than I would have expected on the fresh. And a lot of times that forces – I think all of us moved in a little bit sooner than we should have that year. And it was real easy to to not let the ball breathe to the, far enough to the right and go through the face. We did that a lot the first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I started with another anarchy, a pin-down anarchy, and it, it, it wanted the hook and kind of almost roll out, and my pin carry was really bad. And I, I think I went to a hammer, some hammer plague, something pinned down with a like a mat finish. And I had a pretty good look the last two games. I, both of those games could have been in the 230s pretty easy. But it was just so easy to, to cut it short that year. What uh, did, did you ever did? What did the anarchy make the trip back? It did. It was re- re- way too sharp off the pattern. Uh, I had I had thoughts of throwing it in doubles and singles, and it, it, it just did not want to give me the shape I was looking for. So you ended up getting to a, a, a mid to high 1700 in Baton Rouge and, and uh, Matt Kenazaro, you can speak to this scores were down in Baton Rouge. Were they not? Definitely. Uh, it was a very challenging year and uh, not a, not a lot of huge scores at all. It took just 800 on the nose to win singles. And uh, certainly just flirting with 1800, definitely nothing to be disappointed about at all. Yeah. I think I had three 200s in, in singles and had 615. If that tells you anything. 
so your two biggest sets, obviously the back-to-back eights came in singles and doubles after your team event. You said that uh, 2011, you made a, an adjustment, but after team event, four singles and doubles, and that worked. After shooting 590 in team the following year, uh, at that point, you kind of know, all right, I'm, I'm not going to defend my regular all events title, uh, which has never been done uh, to this day. Um, so you knew that was probably out the window. What did you, how did you try and regroup for doubles and singles on day number two? Well, it was a little bit different this time because I didn't have the ball. I didn't feel as confident as I did in 2011 after team event. I felt like I had thrown the ball a lot better that year than I did this year. And I, I knew, I knew I was going to have to find a way to get the ball down the lane, create a little bit more ball speed. Uh, I, I did bring a couple weaker balls with me, and, and when I would get them to the pocket in doubles and singles, they, I'd, I'd strike, flat 10, four pin, switch seven. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and my reaction wasn't really good enough to make moves off of that because then I wouldn't hit the pocket anymore. And that flat 10 mm-hmm. you saw right there, I did that I don't know how many times that trip. There's one of those flat 10s you talked about. Yep. So I know that Baton Rouge wasn't obviously the year that it was before, but you still got got to experience what it felt like to come back as a defending champion, a two-time defending champion. Uh, leaving Baton Rouge, what were your emotions? Uh, it's hard not to feel disappointed. You know you're better than that. You know you're you're capable of more than that. But you also got to be realistic and say, hey, that was your one shot. You just didn't get it done. Um, the ceremony, being able to share share it with my friends again. Uh, all of that, I still, it's still my favorite part of every nationals is getting announced as a champion. Yeah, regardless of what I shoot from here on out, they can't take that away from me. So, that's it. You'll forever be a champion at the OC. Always some designation next to your name on the scoreboard. Um, what is it like walking into the venue and and, and walking down Center Island and walking to the lanes uh, now, post 2011? Just knowing that uh, there's some eyes on you and and you are the Matt Wagon, absolutely and forever will be. Yeah, as exciting as it is, it's, it's hard to calm yourself down coming down the aisle. I mean, it's I, I always told everybody the first game, I want to have a double clean through five. So that's my goal. I said, I don't care if I have a three spare, a five spare, a seven spare, and a double. I want to be clean through five. And it seems like after frame five, then you can start relaxing and making shots of bowling. But prying it off your hand, those first few shots, just, I've been there 18 years, and it doesn't seem to get any easier. Well, hopefully we get to have one more year coming up here in 2020. Uh, the tournament, of course, has been moved back to a September 12th start. Uh, have you guys worked things out? Uh, are you planning to head our way? I know uh, that time of year is a little wacky for some folks. And uh, are you going to be able to, to make it and join us in, in Reno and see the, the new National Bowling Stadium? Right now it's up in the air. i got to make a couple phone calls and figure out uh, what, what the game plan is. We, we were planning on coming. We rescheduled a couple different times and, uh, you know, that time of year is tough for a lot of people that I bowl with to get out and, and even me, and it's tough to take vacation in the fall and then right away back again in, in the spring. So I know we're booked for April of 2021. Hopefully I can get out there for my 19th consecutive year in 2020, but, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Now, when you come back to Reno and especially going up the, the tall escalator to the, the fourth floor where the lanes are. Um, what are the feelings when, when you when you touch down in the city and, and when you get to take it all in, um, just knowing that uh, you, such a big piece of history happened and, and you were a part of it? It's, it's my favorite venue by far that we bowl. You know, I'm not crazy about the city of Reno, but the, the stadium is just when you walk in, and, you know, they've, they've got those Hall of Flame plaques in, in that other part of the room, and it, it, it just feels like 
this is where you want to be. I wish I, I wish I could get there more than once a year to bowl in it, you know, whether, whether it was different tournament or, or whatever it, uh, it, it, it feels, it feels special. It feels like the type of place that tournament should be hosted every year. All right. Well, certainly we hope you can work it out and join us in 2020. If not, uh, you know, we always have the, the sub board. I think, uh, if somebody saw a two-time Eagle winner uh, on the subboard, they'd be uh, absolutely jumping at the opportunity to, to be a part of that for sure. Um, as we get back to, to normalcy in the world here, um, Mr. Ferris, uh, let's uh, let's kind of recap a little bit on, uh, on what to expect coming up. We're supposed to head to Reno again September 12th to November 21st uh, as our final team date. The event will end the next day. We'll get to make those calls. Uh, still a lot of time between now and then. Um Tell us again the anticipation for you going in there for your your second year and and now getting to see it all come around from the the folks you talked to last year to to being presented on the lanes and um, you know just your your first full circle. I just I remember last year as we bring Matt back into the stream. Uh, I remember last year each time I was tracking a potential lead change, I felt the goosebumps and the nervousness and the anxiety uh, in a good way, not in a in a bad way um, because like you, like uh, Matt, our guests, and like everyone else we've had on the show, uh, you know, we have a love for this sport. And it's going to be double time if I'm tracking a defending champion that has a chance to defend a title. You know, you're talking about some of these these events and these divisions where uh, titles have never been defended before. So if we have, you know, someone making a run at regular all events, regular team, uh, it's going to be a huge deal. And I can't wait to get back. And I can't wait to meet guys like Matt Wagon, uh, who I've never met before, and and put a name or put a a face to a name and a voice and a handshake uh, or maybe an elbow bump in this COVID nineteen world, uh, whatever it may be at that point with social distancing and what's going on. But I'm looking forward to meeting all these people and and hopefully having a reason to take their picture after they get done bowling. All right, now Matt, before we get going, uh, can you think just real quick off the top of your head? Uh, when, when, what comes to mind when we say you, your very favorite things about the Open Championships and any advice to those newcomers who are, uh, are the next 2002 Matt Wagon? Sure, yeah. I, uh, I love walking down the center aisle. I, li- I like meeting up in the squad room, hearing the announcements. And like I said, those, those first few frames of, of uh, team event, team event's my favorite by far. I know my, my Eagles are in singles and doubles, but I, I hope one day I get an opportunity at a at a team Eagle. I think, I think that would be uh, very special. And as far as first timers, I mean, you, you have to, it's, it's tough to slow things down, but you have to get yourself into where you're almost in a league situation. I'm here to have fun with this group of guys, regardless of how I bowl. This is a vacation. I'm going to have fun. Uh, you're going to take something from away. You know, that 1762 I had in Baton Rouge, if anything, I took away, I need to get better. I need to make some improvements. I need to find a way to be able to repeat shots when, when my look isn't there. Uh, I, I've talked to too many bowlers that have went there once, didn't bowl well and, and want to eliminate it from their mind and don't want to go back. It's like, you know, that, to me, the competitor in me, if anytime you fail at anything in life or bowling, you want to figure out what you can do to, when you're in that situation. Again, you don't fail. And, uh, for, for me, it's taken one shot at a time. Spare shooting, I practice a lot of spares. You know, you're not, you're not going to always strike like I did in 2011, and I know that. You're going to have to learn to manufacture a game out there. Uh, but enjoy it. You know, have fun with it. Take guys you enjoy bowling with, uh, long-life long friends. You know, 
make it a vacation and, and like I said, make sure you take something positive away, whether you bull good or bad, make sure you have something positive to take away from the experience. Well, we definitely appreciate the insight, some great advice there as well. And uh, you said all the right things, of course. Uh, don't give up. And uh, the best part about the Open Championships uh, is that uh, even if this year doesn't go so well, uh, there's always next year. And we know that because we've had nearly 120 of the events and we're not going anywhere. Uh, Matt, final question for you before we go. As we get back to uh, to the normal world here in 2020, what are you most looking forward to doing uh, once you guys are able to get out of the house and, and just go back and do things? Well, I'm kind of been giving back a little bit to the sport. Uh, my kids are getting old enough where I'm starting to coach them in junior bowling. I look forward to that getting picked back up in August. Uh, we like to do a little little fishing in the summer. I got a new kayak. Like to get that out. Uh, yeah, just like to get back to to feeling like we're not stuck at the second house and uh, you know doing doing bowling. Anything anything we can do to as a family outside of the house, we're going to try to do it as soon as they start opening things up here soon. Sounds awesome, and uh, from many of our guests, it sounds like there's nothing better than a, a Midwest summer, so uh, hopefully sometime we'll be able to get there out there and enjoy some of those cool things as well. Uh, we appreciate uh, all of your insight today, and, and Daniel Farish, any final thoughts before we head out for the day? No, I just want to thank Matt, as always, for joining us, and I'm looking forward to meeting you, uh, if not in Reno this fall, hopefully this, Reno, this uh, fall in Reno, but if not then, uh, in Las Vegas next year in April. Absolutely. I appreciate what you guys do for bowling. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, sir. And thanks for being such a huge part of our history and tradition at the OC. Back-to-back 800s in 2011 on the way to the regular singles and regular all-events titles, a feat that uh, has only been done once in more than 115 years of tournament history. And uh, sorry I missed it, but uh, the stories that we got out of it are are pretty fun as well. Uh, Looking forward to to seeing you uh, in Reno or Las Vegas as well down the road. Uh, Again, we appreciate your time, Mr. Ferris. Great work out there today. And folks, thank you for tuning in once again to the Inside the OC podcast. We'll be back on Thursday with USBC and PWB Hall of Famer Wendy McPherson. And, uh, of course, every Tuesday and Thursday here on Bowl TV at 2 p.m. Eastern. Also, remember to watch the PWA podcast on Mondays and Wednesdays and the USBC Sport Bowling Show coming up on Friday afternoons as well. A lot of other great content on Bowl TV, so check the schedule there uh, for some new shows coming your way as well and uh, we do appreciate it but uh, you know the the drill so that's the news for now folks we'll see you on the links